Ave Maria Purissima. So, that being said, most of today's sermon will apply to all of us since we have seminarians present here. You may pardon me if parts of it may be directed somewhat more towards them. And it came to pass that as they went, they were made clean. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. In this great cultural war we find ourselves in, we have lost absolutely every battle. We've lost every battle. In fact, with very few exceptions, we haven't really put up a fight. We just surrendered. Our culture is rotten. It's rotten to the core. It's not just bad. It's not just wicked. It's positively satanic. With the collapse of families, divorce, contraception, sterilization, disastrously low birth rates, impure behavior from grade school to the grave, perversions galore, serial polygamy, perverted so-called marriages, perverted schools, legal fights over who gets to use the bathroom, black masses held in public venues under police protection, federally protected altars of Satan, and all the abortion mills in this country, filth pouring out of the internet into homes, into families, into lives, an immoral and even an amoral ruling class, political uh, candidates that can make a character in a soap opera seem normal and moral, economic chaos, immoral roars, violent and impure entertainment. It all seems broken right now. It's only going to get worse. We've lost every battle. And for the most part, we didn't even put up a fight. We just surrendered. This culture is rotten to the core. It's not just bad. It's not just wicked. It's positively satanic. It's reminiscent of the situation prevailed in the kingdom of Israel in the time of the prophet Hosea. I'll read from the words of the prophet. Listen carefully, please. Hosea. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord shall enter into judgment with the inhabitants of the land. For there is no truth, and there is no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. There's cursing, lying, killing, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and murder follows murder. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and even the fish of the sea perish. Yet let no one contend, and let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. My people are destroyed, for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. And it shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and requite them for their deeds. Thus the prophet Hosea. There is no truth, and there is no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. There's cursing, 
lying, killing, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bounds and murder falls murder. Sounds just like right now, doesn't it? They even have environmental problems. The land mourns and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and even the fish of the sea perish. And what caused all this? With you is my contention, O priest. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children, and it shall be like people, like priests. I'll punish them for their ways and requite them for their deeds. It should be like people, like priests. As that great bishop, father, and doctor of the church, St. John Chrysostom teaches, quote, Do you wish to know if the people of any place are righteous? Look what sort of a pastor they have. If you find him pious, just, a man of integrity, believe that the people fed by him will be the same, for they are seasoned with the salt of his wisdom. Close quote, St. John Chrysostom. Do you wish to know if the people of a place are righteous? Look what sort of a pastor they have. It shall be like people, like priests. And given that it shall be like people, like priests, and given that our culture is rotten to the core, what does that tell us about most of the pastors we've had, for the most part? Speaking to the seminarians, it shall be like people, like priests. Do not fall into the trap of thinking you can say your office and your mass, hear a few confessions, and you're good to go. No, you're not. You may be good to go to hell. You're preparing for pastoral ministry. That means you're preparing to take care of the Lord's sheep. Do not forget this. You're preparing to work hard very hard and you're not preparing to be a cloistered monk you're not preparing to be a bunch of professors of this or that you're not preparing to build yourself some sort of comfortable little nest so that you can lead a life of leisure you're preparing to take care of souls a lot of those souls will be very broken and needing and given the prevailing social conditions it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. You're preparing to take care of them. You're preparing to be pastors of souls. Do not forget this. The Word of God tells it shall be like people, like priests. A lot of those souls will be very broken and needy, very wounded. And given our conditions here, it's only going to get worse. So you're preparing to work with the wounded and broken sheep of the Lord. And the chances are that each of you is at least somewhat wounded himself. A good number of our priests are wounded, some very wounded, some are even broken. But Nemo Dot, quote Nahab, no one can give what he does not have. If a priest is wounded himself, and in fact, to the very degree that he's wounded, he's not able to give his flock what they really need. He's not able to give them the full truth, and especially not the charity they're, they're in so desperate need of. He's just not able, since no one can give what he does not have. 
The result is that the wounded or broken priest ends up wounding a lot of the very people he's been sent out to care for. It shall be like people, like priests. They're turning to their priests, looking for love, they're looking for charity, but he's not able to give them what they need. A lot of the souls that you're preparing to take care of are going to be broken and needy, wounded. It's only going to get worse. Assuming that you all want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem, you need to start preparing yourselves today. So I'm going to give you two very practical things that you each need to start doing. First, you need to start praying for the wounded and broken sheep that our Lord's going to entrust to you. You need to start praying today. You need to start praying for them now. That's first. And second, if you're not healed, if you're not at least well on the path to healing and wholeness yourself, you need to start working on that today. And so for the rest of the sermon, we're going to deal with practical aspects of healing. And although these men, the seminarians, have a particular responsibility to work on the healing themselves and, so, and also to be able to he teach and help others, what we're going to talk about from here on out pertains to everyone here. Wounds and healing. The first thing to note here is that because of time constraints, we're only going to touch on some of the most important things. There's a lot more that could be and should be said, but we're going to give everyone enough here to get a good start on the process. We all have this great desire to be healed, to be free of all any bondage that weighs us down, and because of human condition leaves us sad, empty, angry, dissatisfied, frustrated, hurt with people or places, even God. And in spite of this innate desire to be healed and freed, most priests don't even know how to help people get free from this kind of bondage. Most priests don't know how to let people, get, teach people how to get rid of their past wounds, their hurts, their grudges, and be healed. Wounds. There are two basic kinds of wounds, physical and spiritual. When you cut yourself with a knife, it makes a physical wound. The severity of the wound depends on how deep you cut yourself and, in fact, where you cut yourself. Over time, as the wound heals, the pain decreases until typically all that's left is a scar. A spiritual wound is analogous to a physical wound. A spiritual wound is the result of a trauma or an event in someone's life that left an impression. Sometimes it can be remembered and sometimes not. And the seriousness of the wound, the depth of the wound, so to speak, depends on the seriousness of the trauma or event. The traumas uh, that cause such wounds can range from self-inflicted wounds resulting from sin, because each and every sin wounds us, to wounds that have been inflicted on us through no fault of our own, like being violently assaulted or even being conceived outside of marriage. And yes, that does cause a wound. But unlike the typical progression of a physical wound from damage to healing to scar, typically a spiritual wound remains present. People don't know how to deal with it. And because it's a source of pain, we typically build barriers around that spiritual wound so we can live with and protect ourselves from the pain so it doesn't get prodded. 
These barriers are typically expressed in certain forms of behavior, certain personality quirks and faults which are there to protect us from that pain. For example, we might see them expressed as anger, resentment, fear, or hatred of certain people or certain situations, not being able to deal with large crowds of people and so forth. If and when a spiritual wound is healed, it's no longer a source of pain, the barriers are gone, and the situation is analogous to a physical scar. That's a very brief summary. Just enough information to get you some idea of what a spiritual wound is. For more details here, you can go to the website of Father Chad Ripperger. He has four excellent spiritual conferences dealing with wounds and healing. Father Chad Ripperger on his website has four excellent spiritual conferences dealing with wounds and healing. Healing. We'll start by touching briefly on forgiveness. One of the most important things in the process of spiritual healing is forgiveness. We must be first willing to forgive others. Our Lord himself explicitly taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This forgiveness has to come from the heart, not from the emotions. It must come from our will. We don't have to forget what happened, but we do have to forgive and let that pain go. Sometimes the hurt is too big or too deep, but we don't actually know what's causing it. So we can't forgive or let go of it ourselves. That's why it's so important when one sets out on a healing journey to ask Our Lady and Our Lord to come into those areas to heal us, to help us forgive and let go of the pain, to give it to them with an open heart, to will it with all of our being. The will is essential. Truly will it. Desire it. We'll talk more about this in a few minutes. At times we've been hurt so deeply that we're unable to forgive. But if we beg our Lord to forgive for us, then our Lord will give the graces over time, and those graces will enable us over time to finally forgive. I've told the story elsewhere, and I'll just sum it up right now. A young man been subjected to torture, physical torture, emotional torture, other kinds of torture, unspeakable things since infancy at the hands of his father and mother, since he'd grown up in a family of Satanists. And yet, in spite of these unspeakable wounds, within about a year of reaching out in prayer to the Lord, that young man was able to totally forgive his parents. And that's a miracle. How did he do that? He asked our Lord over and over again to come into those wounds, to heal him, to forgive his parents for him, since he was too weak to do it himself, and to help him to forgive them and let go all that pain. And after about a year, he loved his parents. He didn't like them. Why would you like them? Love and like aren't the same thing. Everybody loves their teenagers. A lot of times they don't like them. Love is in the will. It's in the will. Now we'll talk about how to do this in a little more detail in a few minutes. As we forgive others and ask others to forgive us any wrong, it's important we try to repair any wrong we've done. If it's possible, we should make restitution for that wrong. Not just because it's a lawful thing to do, but more importantly, when we right a wrong, we're more easy, able, easily able to forgive ourselves and not have so much guilt to heal from. The effort to restore the wrong shows that we're truly sorry and we want to be forgiven. It shows an act of our will. Humbling ourselves and asking forgiveness shows the same thing. If we ask with a contrite heart that truly wants forgiveness, and we're not just going through some charade. 
It's really, really important to recognize that with wounds of all sorts, especially deep wounds, there's the need to forgive oneself, even if we did no wrong in causing the wound. That may sound surprising. It's essential to understand, with wounds of all sorts, especially deep wounds, there's a need to forgive oneself even if we did no wrong in causing the wound. It's not true that we're guilty, but there's a spirit of forgiveness needed where we can forgive ourselves and love ourselves in that hurt, realizing we can be loved in that wound. For example, if we were assaulted violently as a child, we would have built barriers and personality quirks around that wound so we could continue on with life and deal with the pain and trauma. As we start healing and forgiving the attacker, we'll also have a need to forgive ourselves. Now, why would that be? How can that be? As it turns out, in these situations, there's going to be a certain amount of guilt and shame associated with a wound. And in our brokenness, we actually blame ourselves for it. We hold on to such a wound, we hold on to the pain as if we deserve it in some sense. Because it's our pain and it's our wound. And at some level we think no one else can really understand or feel the pain like I do. So it's mine. It'll always be mine. And I have to deal with it all by myself. I have to do it alone. It's my pain and I have to bear it. The point is, we need to be able to forgive ourselves, forgive everyone involved in this situation, and let the wound be healed. It's also common, if we suffered a great trauma, we get the idea that we're dirty or have no value, and we may very well end up viewing ourselves like some animal and object. The results here are predictably catastrophic, and I don't need to illustrate that. To take another common example, suppose someone were a real party animal in his youth, and later in life he repents of his rowdy behavior. It actually may be quite difficult to be healed of this. Now why would that be? Because one of the typical results of rowdy behavior, of being a party animal, is a kind of a perverse pride in that sinful way of life. A sort of perverse pride that he can carry on and drink with the best of them. All that sort of thing. And this perverse pride is associated with the wound. He may not want to let go of the prideful attitude, even though his sins hurt our Lord and our Lady. And if he doesn't specifically want to let go of that pride, if he doesn't will it, he won't heal. He actually can't heal there. This may not be a fully conscious decision on his part. He must have, first have an awareness of what he's doing. Typically, it won't come from himself. A confessor, a priest, a director, a good spiritual friend can point that out to him and help him see it. He should pray. Inviting the Holy Spirit to come in his heart and life. Pray a prayer along these lines. Come Holy Spirit, help me to see myself as you see me. And to love myself as you love me. Then he must beg for the graces to completely reject this sort of prideful attitude. To be able to let go of it and the perverse personality traits he produced a response to it. Those perverse traits that cause this person to take pride in his disgraceful behavior and sin. He needs to completely reject this because it hurts his relationship with God. It's actually a barrier between him and God. Another common situation involves sins that someone fully chose to do, but then after the fact, he's very ashamed of. This is actually very common with certain types of sins. For example, being involved in abortion, looking at porn, she on a spouse. Our country actually has millions and millions of women in this condition. They even have a term for it. It's called being post-abortal. Because of the shame, she buries this sin ever so deep within herself. But nevertheless, she oftentimes has anger, depression, etc. 
Although she may very well have confessed it, she can't forgive herself. She believes God can forgive her because he's God, but she can't forgive herself. She's positive that others wouldn't forgive or accept her if they were aware of what sort of things she had done in her past. So she buries that wound deep inside herself, hoping it will never come out again. But the simple and painful fact is that healing is impossible with a buried wound like that. She must invite our Lord and Our Lady into these areas, begging them to heal the sores, begging them to help her forgive herself, and asking them to take this wound, take all this pain away. She can even try pitching herself in prayer, handing the whole situation, pain and all, to Our Lady or to Our Lord. We'll say more on that in a few minutes. There's another type of situation which is actually pretty common. It's for the severely wounded person to have a perverse sort of pride associated with such events. He's thinking in so many words, I have heard Jesus so very much that I can't burden him anymore with all this awful wound and pain I've created. It's mine, I did it, I caused it, and I deserve to have to carry it myself. What's happened in a situation like that is that the poor wounded person has unsuspectingly become too proud to let our Lord take the pain away. In effect, she's saying, it's my mess, I'm just going to have to take care of it myself. I pay my debts, so I can't really ask our Lord to pay this for me. After all, he's done for me. So I'll deal with it, and then after I get everything under control, then I can go to Jesus freely without burdening him with another debt. This is an extremely dangerous form of pride. To be fair, many times the thought process hasn't been worked out that clearly, but in any event, that's what, practically what's happening. She needs to understand, she needs to clearly see that if she were debt-free, she'd have no need for a savior. We all have debts we can't pay. We're all in need of a savior. We all have debts we can't pay, and our Lord knows full well that we can never pay him. Besides, what on earth does he need from him? us? Nothing. He's God. He's already got it all. The amazing reality is that in spite of the fact that God needs absolutely nothing from us, in spite of the fact that he's perfectly content and happy in himself, nevertheless, the second person, the most blessed Trinity, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, still chose to come down and take our burdens upon himself. One of the most important aspects of forgiveness is not to, not to forget. We must also be able to be, to be careful to be sure that we've forgiven God from the bottom of our hearts. Now that sounds crazy. Why would that be? It is certainly not because God has anything he needs to be forgiven for. That would be blasphemous. But oftentimes, when we've been seriously hurt, as in the case of a child who has been violently assaulted, we can blame God. Why, if you love me, did you let this happen? You're God. You could have stopped it. Why didn't you protect me? I was too little to protect myself, and so on and so on. This is very common in these kind of traumas. Very common. In these sort of situations, we put a certain amount of blame on God. And in our hearts, we're wounded and disappointed and hurt because God was not our hero in this case. And he let us get hurt. He let us down, so to speak. This is what we're thinking. Now, that's certainly not the case. In fact, God was there in each one of those events. He was suffering with us. He was paying the price for the sin. And he was hurting for us much deeper than we'll ever know. It's analogous to the situation of a mother watching your child take a serious fall and get hurt. The mother feels the pain and suffering of her child, certainly in a different way than the child, but quite probably even more than her child feels it. It breaks the mother's heart. She didn't prevent it. and She can't fix it. It's just an analogy. 
We have free will. It's an amazing gift. God doesn't want to take that away from us. But he can fix our hurt if we run to him. If we give it to him fully, not holding anything back. He can and will fix it. He's God. He came to save sinners, not to take sin away. The key is to let him. We have to let him. We need to forgive God so that we can trust him and love him. We need to be able to see that God didn't leave us, that he's the only one who knows the hurt as we do, that he understands what we went through, our pain, our guilt, our sorrow. He loves us anyway, and he loves us in that wound. As a mother loves most tenderly when her child is hurt, so does our Lord love us most tenderly when we're hurt. When we're able to forgive, we're able to let go of a huge weight that's held us prisoner. We're held in bondage if we have a lack of forgiveness. But when we truly are able to start praying, inviting heaven into those wounds, the barrier is slowly broken down. We're able to start forgiving and let go of the pain. We're starting to be set free. The last aspect of forgiveness we'll touch on this morning is the need to let others forgive us and to let God forgive us. Sometimes we won't accept forgiveness. For whatever reason, we hold other people's faults over their heads, and we don't let them forget how much they've wronged us. Such a grudge will actually prevent us from healing. When we don't let others forgive us, when we reject forgiveness, we're rejecting God in our lives. It's even worse when we won't approach the confessional and let God heal us and forgive us. We think the sin is too big, or even worse, we don't want God's forgiveness. There's literally nothing that can be done here until we accept forgiveness. Now there's a lot more that could be said about forgiveness, but that gives each of us a pretty decent overview of the various challenges that are common in this field. There's one more important topic we have to briefly touch on before we talk about one fruitful approach we can take when we're praying for healing. That topic is how to recognize the areas in our life that are wounded. We'll just touch on this briefly. Again, I want to recommend the conferences on Father Chad Ripperger's website. He has those four conferences dealing with wounds and healing. The question, what are my wounds, is a spiritual question. Some wounds are going to be obvious if we were violently assaulted in childhood, if we had an abortion, etc., etc. But many wounds are not obvious. We need to turn to the Holy Spirit and Our Lady and pray and beg over and over. In words to this effect, Come Holy Spirit, help me see myself as you see me, and love myself as you love me. Blessed Mother, help me see myself as you see me, and love myself as you love me. So Holy Spirit, help me see myself as you see me, and love myself as you love me. Blessed Mother, help me see myself as you see me, and love myself as you love me. And over time, the less apparent problems will become apparent. This is really important. So there's so many different ways to be wounded and many different kinds of wounds. Wounds can come from our families. They can be passed down almost like an inheritance in the family. For example, uh, family pride. It's good to have a healthy pride or love for one's family, but a sort of arrogance could be ingrained in each member. Or a spirit of harshness, and so on and so on. Souls can easily be wounded by loss of a parent, by being raised in a broken home, or in a home without love, or a home full of violence, words, and deeds, or have been abused physically or emotionally. This toxic culture that we're living in hates imperfections. 
And this is a great danger. They hate, you know, we gotta kill unwanted babies, want plastic surgery for all, get all these beauty products, perfect bodies, assisted suicide because things hurt, mercy killing, all these things. So people in our society are constantly building, building a lie about who they are so they can fit into society. This just moves people farther and farther away from love because without truth, you have no love. The truth is gonna set us free. How often do we see parents who are trying to raise the perfect child? Not the virtuous child, but the child that will be successful in society. What that winds up doing is hurting that child even more because they feel they can't be loved for themselves, but they have to create a personality uh, in order, sort of this false personality type in order to be loved. So with all this going on, it's very difficult for that child to become the vessels of charity that God intended them to be. Now, wounds can arise even in utero, in the womb. If the mother rejected the pregnancy, or seriously considered aborting the child, or even if she experienced a serious sickness or traumatic sorrow, as amazing as this might sound, that baby can experience rejection and may need healing from that. It's one of the reasons you have to pray to the Holy Ghost and Our Lady. You're not going to remember this. It's not humanly possible. In both these cases, the inherited wound and the wound in utero, the family, the child needs to forgive their family from the, from the heart. And anybody involved, they have to forgive them from their heart. They have to will it. Again, there's a lot more that can be said. That's sufficient here to get everybody started on the right path. Now let's talk about praying for healing. The healing of a wounded soul comes about by conformity and contact with Christ. By reaching out in prayer to Our Lady and bringing her begging her to bring her son into the situation. We'll just run through quickly a very easy and fruitful method of doing that. We've got holy cards for everyone that have this information that I'm going to give you. So even though it's really easy to remember, you don't have to try to memorize this right now. Just listen, please, right now. It's only an outline. You can adapt all this stuff as needed. This is an outline, but it gets everybody started so they see the kind of things that are fruitful. Here's how it goes. We identify a wound. Let's say we were violently abused in childhood. The first thing to do is make an act of the will, that we really want this to be healed, that we're willing to suffer whatever it takes to be free of this wound. If you don't will it, you can't do it. And it's going to hurt. Our religion is a crucifix as the symbol. If it hurt our Lord, we're going to hurt. But we shouldn't be as scared of the cross because this is a healing cross. It will hurt to be healed. It's like resetting broken bones. They're the broken bones in your heart and they're getting reset. So we gotta will it, but we also have to be prepared that it probably is gonna hurt. That's not a bad sign. Because the hurt went in, and when it hurts again, that's the hurt going out. Anyway, the first thing to do is make an act of the will. We want it to be healed. We're willing to suffer whatever it takes to be free of the wound. Let's assume we've already forgiven everybody involved. It's the same basic process in any case. So we start by turning to Our Lady. We start praying, Blessed Mother of God, I completely open this wound of violent abuse to you. Then we ask Our Lady, I beg thee to wash, cleanse, and purify this wound with thy tears, with the precious blood of thy Son. Then we ask her, I beg thee to bring thy son into this wound to heal it. And then we ask her, I beg thee to fill this spot with charity and together with thy son to stay and rule. 
Okay, go right back to it. We turn to Our Lady and pray, Blessed Mother of God, I completely open this wound of violent abuse to you. I beg thee to cleanse, wash, and purify this wound with thy tears and the precious blood of thy Son. I beg thee to bring thy Son into this wound and to heal it. I beg you to fill this spot with charity and together with thy son to stay and rule. One more time, but we've got it here. Blessed Mother of God, I completely open this wound of violent abuse to thee. I beg thee to cleanse, wash, and purify this wound with thy tears and the precious blood of thy son. I beg thee to bring thy son into this wound and to heal it. I beg you to fill this spot with charity and together with thy son to stay and rule. I want to be careful, I'm going to, not to generalize too much here, but simply to state that the experience of those wounded souls I've worked with over the years, that are faithful to these kind of prayers. At a certain point in time, there's suddenly a major, and for that person, a miraculous inner healing. They're lifted by divine grace, as it were, to a whole new plateau. They're given a deep inner peace and a major healing. For the most part, it's important to note that in the experience with the souls I've worked with, it is not a complete healing. It's huge, but it's not a complete healing. The souls I'm familiar with are given a deep healing, a deep peace, but there's still areas left to work on, areas to which they still need to invite Our Lady to bring in Our Lord's grace and light. I believe that the reason the healing progresses in this fashion is for two basic reasons. In that experience of God's love, where they're lifted up most of the way, it really lifts the burdens and struggles. And suddenly they have an experiential knowledge of the love of God and how close He is to them in their suffering. And that He was there from the beginning. So they know they're loved in that area. And secondly, it's not complete, and I believe that's in order to encourage them to continue on this path. So it deepens and strengthens their relationship with Our Lady and Our Lord. Another important point here. It's important to realize that if someone was to ask for these kind of healings, in this case of some kind of horrific trauma, he doesn't have to sit here and try to recall the circumstances to mind. It's not necessary, and it could very well do more harm than good. He simply needs to pray in the fashion we said, asking our lady to bring the Lord into this woundness and pain and heal him and make it free. Not try to do some psychological exercise while he tries to picture himself back in it. He ends up in the fetal position, you know, from the pain rather than being healed. One more point. When someone is trying to heal from wounds and seriously praying, asking Our Lady to bring Our Lord into each area and heal them, oftentimes previously unknown wounds will be revealed to the person. They'll come to a deeper knowledge because they're getting closer and closer to Our Lord in this thing and He starts giving new life. Final point here. If anyone has these kinds of wounds and wants to discuss them with a priest, it's essential that at least initially it takes place in confession under the seal. Keep it under the seal. So not only is it totally private and the security is preserved, but also so that the sacramental effects of the most precious blood can pour over things. Don't bring it outside the confessional. Keep it under the seal. It's safe. It's anonymous. Over time, if there's a need, the wounded soul might discuss the situation in the external form. But if and only if, the priest they want to discuss it with is very balanced and completely trustworthy. Never ever start, just start by discussing these things with a priest outside the confessional, okay? Because you don't want to wound yourself more in the, in the desire to be healed, which can happen. You got to be careful as you, you know, when you're far along in the, in, the, in the healing process, you talk more about it. But in the beginning of these things, it's easy to wound yourself 
in the, by doing things like that. So that's why that's a precaution. It's especially important to pray like this after receiving Holy Communion. Our Lord doesn't need anything. He's God. If he's coming to us in Holy Communion, it's because he wants to give us something. What are we asking him for? The church actually makes the priest say a prayer for healing every time he says Mass. There's a, a number of them sprinkled through the, the, the Mass, actually, just before he gives himself communion. If you follow hand, Mass in your hand, miss, you'll notice the third prayer before communion, called the Percepcio, contains the line in English. Through thy goodness may it, thy body, O Lord Jesus Christ, through thy goodness may it be unto me a safeguard and a healing remedy, both of soul and body. May thy body, O Lord, Jesus Christ, be unto me a healing remedy, both of soul and body. And everyone here knows the Domini non subnignus. How does that end? end? Sinabiter anima mea. Lord, I am not worried that thou shouldst enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. We want to ask for that when we're in communion. Let's close. I'll address the seminarians once more. Y'all are preparing to work with wounded and broken sheep of the Lord, the chances are that each of one of you is at least somewhat wounded himself. A good number of our priests are certainly wounded. A good number, some very wounded, some even broken. No one can give what he doesn't have. If the priest is wounded himself and to the very degree that he's wounded, he's not able to give his flock what they really need. He's not able to give them the full truth, especially the charity they so desperately need and are looking for from the priest. He's not able because no one can give what he doesn't have. The painful truth is that the wounded or broken priest ends up wounding a lot of the very people he's been sent out to care for. It shall be like people, like priest. They're turning to their priest, looking for love, they're looking for charity, but he's not able to give them what they need. They're asking for eggs, and he's handing them scorpions. That's for real. A lot of the souls you're preparing to care for will be very broken and needy, very wounded, and because of the prevailing social conditions, it's just going to get worse, and it's going to get a lot worse. You need to start preparing yourself today by those two things. You need to start praying for the wounded, broken sheep that our Lord is going to place in your life, that he's going to trust you. You need to start praying for him today, now. That's first. And second, if you are not at least well on the way to, on the path to healing wholeness yourself, then you need to start working on that today too. And it came to pass that as they went, they are made clean. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.